Listen to our noise. We're not different. We're not unique. Yeah, we're like everyone else. We're noise. Just noise. Yep. For the next 30 minutes, just noise. What radio station? Yeah, what? Noise. What radio station is this? Noise. Just noise. Yep. Just noise. WCBN 88.3 FM Ann Arbor. Freeform in a world of noise. On your after companionship and laughter, you can always find it in the dark. Along in early life, one for the look of war and wife. Some men must seek their pleasures in the dark. A bit of smoke, a bit of drink, a slippery bit of something pink. You'll find what you are after in the dark. To judge and who's to see what's fun for you or fun for me. As we mingle our pleasures in the dark. For life's a show that can be cruel. And passion often plays the fool. Together we will break the rules and love. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and I'm so pleased to have in the studio today Kathy Koja, her novel Under the Poppy. Kathy, welcome to the studio of WCBN. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And thanks for making the trip from, because you're from the Detroit area. Yes, I am. And took Route 14, and hopefully things are clearing up out there. But Yes, if you are on Route 14, please look out for an accident in the clearing stages. Yes. So now I feel almost like we've <laughs> done some sort of a traffic report here at the radio station. If only we had a helicopter. Right. <laughs> um, but Kathy... But it wouldn't be period appropriate, so we can't use a helicopter. It's true, because Under the Poppy is a historical fiction at its yes. Im- m- most imaginative, oh. I would I would say. It's really lovely. Um, and... and the, when was the book actually published? It's out this year with the Small book is Beer Press. just published like Uber now. <laughs> That's it's what I very, know. very new. It has just hit stores and hit Amazon and hit uh, Common Language Bookstore, where I'll be doing a signing next week. And so it's brand, brand new. And and that that's actually exciting for everyone here in Ann Arbor. Um, and you can buy your plane tickets now because it is it's November tenth. Yes. And and you'll be at the Blackbird Theater um, with the with puppets. Yes, we're going to have, and we can talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But we are going to have. Um, a very theatrical reading and signing as befits this book. So hopefully people will be interested in the story and interested in our hour together, and they're going to rush out to the Blackbird and hang out with us in our puppets in our punk Victorian attire. Punk Victorian. Yes, you will have to tell us more about that. So maybe some tips some, for some... <laughs> Um, but no, that, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, the Victorian punk. Yes, you can't beat it. Well, uh, Kathy, you actually, um, since the book is just hot off the press and we will be hearing a little bit about it later, I'll read your short bio first and then let's hear what some of the, the press has to say. Well, um, but first 
the time-honored tradition of the bio. <laughs> Kathy Kojas, under oh, underthepoppy.com, you can go there now if you'd like listeners to. Um, Kathy Kojas' books include The Cipher, Skin, and Extremities. Her young adult novels include Buddha Boy, Talk, Kissing the Bee, and Headlong, and Stray Dog. And Stray Dog. Her work has been honored by the ALA, the ASPCA, and with the Bram Stoker Award. Her books have been published in seven languages and optioned for film. She's a Detroit native and lives in the area with her husband, artist Rick Leader, and their cats. Under the Poppy is currently being adapted for the stage. Yes. And so we'll have a, a, we'll have a taste of that at the Blackbird Theater November 10th. Yes, we will. And one of the, one of the, the gifts for me of this book was the chance to take it into this entirely different medium. I've never worked with a, a stage before. I've never adapted my own work before, but I did the adaptation that we're using for the the ultimate performance, and we can talk about that later, too. But oh. it all grew from the book, and it all grew from the story. So this is kind of the book that just keeps on giving. Oh, that's amazing. And it's fun, too. It's a great deal of fun. I love the tagline, because there's also a YouTube clip, um, where I think if you were to search under the poppy, oh, it would yeah. come up right away, right? And and so there's a, a puppet clip uh, with the great sound, the music that we started with. Right, the intro. That was the book trailer that we worked on, and some of the people who are involved in the show, um, filmmaker, local filmmaker Diane Checklitz, she's also a Detroit-based person, and she and I talked about bringing the book, kind of encapsulating the idea of the story of the book in 60 seconds. And no easy feat because this book is chock full of twists and turns and um, and lovely language moments as well. And literally is like it's a big 360 pages. It is. It's the longest novel that I have ever written. It's like 150,000 words. It's like this big giant book. And when we we want we knew that we wanted the book to have a public face. A book trailer is very important now. People sort of expect you to have this and especially in for a way for people to get to know what is this book about am I going to like it like a taste of it right and so parallel with the the film industry then more so and right and it, it publishers are looking for ways for people to experience the book in you know online it's it's difficult yes you can download a book but to get the flavor of a book to get the idea of the book online so when we thought about under the poppy we thought about puppets because puppets are involved in the story and a puppeteer is the the one of the two main characters in the story we thought about sex because it takes place in a victorian a brothel, brothel right and we thought about the idea of doubling or or mystery and people will see that when they look at the book trailer the way the puppets were constructed and the way they were shot lead to a kind of doubling effect. And I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it yet, but there is a moment where hopefully you will have the same little frisson that people have in the book when you're not entirely sure what is real. And so that was kind of the, the heart of what we wanted to do with the trailer. Well, and the music that we led into is the music from the trailer composed by former Ann Arborite, Joe Stacy, who is now Austinite Joe Stacy, but Joe is also involved in the stage show and he has composed um, songs for the show and will also be performing in it. So, 
we're keeping the same creative team together. Oh, that's wonderful. And this will be, and this, this show will be an, an eventual full length performance of the, the novel. The, right. The show will be um, an immersive presentation of the book, and this will take place next year. Um, later, probably about a year from now. Will it be in our area or Austin? or We are wanting to premiere it in the Detroit area. That is what we want. And there is a lot of talent here. We are a very talent-rich area in the Detroit Ann Arbor axis. So there is no reason we need to go elsewhere. We have everything we need right here. So just bring Joe back from Austin for Joe the will time. have to come back yeah. from Austin, yes. <laughs> right. Joe is going to have to come and live with me for a month or something while we have the show. Well, it, it seemed, and you say fully immersive. So does that mean you have visions of um, the audience being really so, sort of sitting within the play itself? Oh, absolutely. Almost like and how you begin the, the, the novel. To, right. We want, we want people to have as much of the experience that you can have reading the book in this 3D world. And so we will have film, we will have puppets, we will have, try to create the world as fully and thoroughly as you, the reader, are creating it when you're reading this book. And, you know, obviously there are some things we can't do on stage, but we can do pretty much everything. So, no, I don't mean like, not like not those kind of things. We can't do those either. There are laws against that, but. But with puppets, no. But, right, but with puppets, but with puppets. Actually, I was in, in Columbus over the weekend, and I was talking to a professor of for puppetry. The world Fantasy. For the World Fantasy Convention was held this year in Columbus, and it, it travels all over, and this year it was, was nicely in, in the backyard. So I was talking, in fact, to a professor of puppetry, and we were sort of exploring that idea that with the puppet, you can do things, people will accept things from a puppet, a, you know, quote unquote, a toy that they would not take. There's a, there's a part in the book where some soldiers are getting very disputatious and, and hucking stuff at the girls on the stage at the poppy. And one of the ways they're calmed down and brought to kind of brought to heel is by having the puppet tell them, simmer down. And they laugh, but they can hear it. And then there's that one moment, that sort of diffusing moment where they back off because they can take it from. If a a man had said it to them, you know, they're fighting words, right? Fighting words. But because it's just a toy, it's okay, And the, the net effect is the same. Right. One thing I would like to read is just as an encapsulation of the book is the review from a gal who calls herself the rejectionist and her takeaway on the book is a gothic glam rock take on love and sex and death that reads a little like what would happen if Sarah Waters and Angela Carter played a drunken game of exquisite corpse in a brothel under the poppy will make you want to get out your very finest crushed velvet, drink a couple bottles of wine and do something a little bit illegal with someone very good looking. In other words, it's a winner. And I thought, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever read. Now, and did that come out yesterday, did you say, Kathy? Yes. Because when I got your email yesterday, you said, oh, there was just, you know, it was yes, sort of like yes. there was a, some, some good news had arrived. Yes. And I've been seeing, we've been very fortunate because all the reviews that we have had so far have all been uniformly positive and people are really loving this book. But, and, and this is like um, the... Kirkus Review, right, and the Library Journal, like these and different publishers weekly, publishers weekly, and right, and all the all the major places have have seen it, and there's lots of love for it in the blogosphere, and I'm really happy about that. And people are really understanding what the book is about, and 
So that is exactly what you want as a writer. You want to see a review like this because not only does it mean they're telling you your book is good, but it means that this reviewer has read the book that I wrote and responded to that. And that's not always the case. So I'm very happy about that. And and people are talking about it. And lots of people are talking about it. Right, right. <laughs> and plus their fashion tips. For example, the crushed velvet. That's perhaps right. Perhaps next week at the Black You're Theater. right. Your crushed velvet, your bottles of wine, you're someone very good looking. <laughs> I really like that. I thought that was pretty choice. And and Kathy, with, with Small Beer Press, with, in, in the marketplace, is it even more so important to have this presence in the blogosphere? Um because you also, some of your young adult fiction, I, I, at least Stray Dog, I think for sure, was with FSG. Yes, so, in so, fact, all my young adult in hardcover came out from FSG. And they are one of the powerhouses of the public. So they have the, the machinery of, uh, you know, the voice of the market in, in as far as book publishing goes in some ways. So how is it, it with, because I love small beer press like yes. i love like the feistiness also and and um even in the name how they named it um but so is this also this like the the book trailer and this having a, a presence in the blogosphere even more important when you're the book is debuting i think that it's important across the board now i think no matter who you publish with you have to do that because we are living in a very crowded universe and we are there's so many options out there for our time that it helps to be able to define yourself very clearly, say, this is what this book is about. If you like it, that's great. And because there are these other voices out there that can help you reach the people you want to reach, it's a lot easier now, I think, than it's ever been before. And small beer just the best to work with. And is are they is this the first time that you've worked with them? Yes, then? it is. And after after we leave and come back, I will tell the story of what happened when the trailer was part of the Mitten movie project, the book trailer, and what I got from Gavin and Kelly on my porch. What I found on my porch when I came home from the Mitten movie project, watching my book trailer up on the big screen, and there was a little porch on my, a little package on my porch from Gavin Grant and Kelly Link at Small Beer Press, and there was something inside it. Well, a better teaser will not be found. So we're going to take that short break, and then we'll be back um, with the answer uh, from Kathy Koja. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, Brian Delaney in the engineering chair. We'll be back. You gave me all your loving one day. Faded away. Well, I'm gonna take this sad, unread issue in my arms tonight. Looking at hospitals, Victoria. Helpless as the elephant man Wish you were here to chain you up without shame In my arms tonight So if you should feel 
I'm T. Hetzel, and today Kathy Koja is here, her novel Under the Poppy. Um, Kathy, so a word about the music, because you, you've you chosen these the five songs we've been hearing. The first one, we can tell why. <laughs> right, right, because that's a song from the trailer, and, and it's a special version, in fact, that's been debuted here today. It is it is a, a, a tricked-out version that, that Joe has massaged and made special just for us today, so it's a world premiere. <gasps> On WCBN. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Well, well thanks to Joe, our, our musician extraordinaire. And the other songs that I've chosen today are all songs that I wrote to when I was writing the book these are the songs among you know others but songs that were in my heavy rotation on my iPod and I listened to like a ton of Rufus Wainwright and a ton of Roxy Music and Shearwater and stuff that Joe had sent and to kind of get and keep me in the mood while I'm writing and I do that with all my books because it helps to create it helps to screen out other distractions and it creates kind of an emotional atmosphere that keeps you in the mood, grounds you, brings you back to what you were working on the day before and it and it's very pleasant too. It's just a happy atmosphere in my head when I'm working. So and how long did it so how long were these songs on rotation for? How long did it take you to write this under the poppy? Uh, they were on rotation for about 2 years. And in between um with the research and and because it's a historical novel as well you can get very lost in the research and I think probably all writers no matter what genre you're working in or no matter what kind of work you're doing if you're doing research on something it's because you dig it and you can get to the point of like crazy minutiae you know where you have to realize in the end it's sort of like baby pictures you might want to see everything but the readers don't need to know every single little detail you know what they need to know is enough to ground them in the story and to keep them caught up in the story and in fact when I do writing classes I tell my students sense details are what what holds a reader what grounds a reader what keeps a reader because our senses are how we experience the world how things that we smell things that we feel things that we see that's the world to us. And so if you're only in the characters' heads or you're only concerned with the plot, there's this whole other dimension. Um, the example that I use with them is saying, you know, uh, the character Joe went on the steps and ate his lunch. 
the character Jose and the cold concrete steps and ate, you know, his soggy Doritos. Totally different world. Same thing, same, you know, same activities going on, but in one you're really there. And especially in a book like this where one of the reviews um, talked about reading historical fiction and saying, I want to be in another world. That's why I read it to begin with. I want to experience this other world. So when I read Under the Puppy, I felt, you know, I felt the grit of it. You know, I smelled the smells because it's not always, you know, the the cleanest and, and most wonderful world. You know, we... We bathe a lot more now, you know, than people did in those days. We are used to a level of physical comfort, you know, in, in you know, just the general population is used to a level of comfort that maybe was not available then. So things were cold. Things were stinky. There were sometimes bugs in places that you don't want bugs. Well, and now, and now the bed bugs yeah, are Yeah, now the bed bugs are all back. <laughs> right, right. So, but those are the kinds of things that I wanted people to experience alongside with all the, you know, the emotions of the story. But I noticed the music that you chose is not period music. It's not as if maybe like the Handel's water music or the chamber right, music. Right, it's right. not at all. That's not was what was driving you for this this emotional quantity, right? That, that right. you were trying to. Can I ask what was the from the song that we just heard? What what was that setting a scene for? What was that? Um, there's a, a section later in the book where the two main characters in the book are, are Rupert and Istvan. And Rupert and Istvan have been together since they were children. And they're partners, they're lovers, they're comrades. They have each other's back. Um, sometimes they are apart, but they are never parted, even though the story, we follow them throughout the story, through heartbreak and loss and betrayal and all these terrible things that happen. And at one point in the story... Um, another character really has a serious Jones for Rupert. And that was sort of that, the look on your face is priceless at this moment. I wish you could all see this because it's very priceless. Uh, yes, this, this character comes on very strong. And that was sort of his theme song in my head. So, which I have not revealed before. Yet another world premiere. See what a good interviewer you are. I'm revealing all these things that that have not before been said, but yes. And there's more ahead. There is more. But like, what was in that little box? That's what I think we should do. What was in that little box? Okay, so let me set the scene. It is cold. I am happy. I have just seen the trailer on the big screen at part of the Mitten Movie Project at the Main Art Theater in Royal Oak. I have just seen my director, Diane Chucklidge, the puppeteer, Al Bogdan, who will also be, in fact, at, they'll both be at the the Blackbird Theater next week, a week from today. And so I'm all excited. I'm really happy. And I pull up in my driveway and there's this box on my porch. I'm like, what the hell? I look at the box. It's from Small Beer Press. Like, they're sending me a teeny tiny little box. What is it? And I, I open it up and it is this gorgeous box of chocolates with a card saying, congratulations, this is your pub day. Here is, you know, this little sweet thing from us. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh, my God. And it's, like, sealed with sealing wax. I, it was it was fantastic. They were Burdick's chocolates. And they were, this is not the kind of thing you sit down with and just scarf. You just eat these babies one at a time. You and certainly don't share. No, I'm just kidding. I did share. Eventually, <laughs> I shared. No, I shared them with my husband, but it took me a little while. Yes. And they, But that is kind of emblematic of the experience of working with small beer. They are 
they remember the details and there is a human heart there. You are not dealing with, you know, some bored and irritable publicist somewhere or some person who doesn't remember your name or, and it, you know, not, not to slag the publicist. Everyone in publishing works really hard now. And actually publicists work harder than anybody else. But it is as much as you know that you're working with a person who cares about the book as an experience, as an object. Um, I would also like to point out that with Under the Poppy, for the first time, this is my 14th book, and for the first time ever, I was able to actually see the book become an object, become born into the world. And have some say in the, the, the visuals on the cover? And I was extremely happy. If anyone has seen the cover online, you will see that it is possibly the greatest cover that has ever been. Okay. I don't think I'm overselling it when I say this. If the, if the purpose of a book cover is to intrigue and to, to catch the eye, draw you into the experience and right and to make you go, what is going on there? Um, you have your sexy dude in the top hat. You can't see his face. The top hat's like a little bit worn in spots, so we know that this is a guy who's been around a while. And there's this glorious little puppet, and it's just this little visual joke in the, the front of the book. It's just pure wit. I love it. And that was done by um, some guys in Columbus, some guys in Columbus, the company in Columbus called Base Art Company, who I just saw them on Monday. And... They, in fact, they just did a super cool poster for the for Yaysayer, and it's a, a guy's head with like veins, and they are glow in the dark, and they were showing me all this stuff. It was super cool, but I've have been beyond excited with people's response to that cover. And you may judge my book by that cover. I totally wish that you would because it is completely awesome, and being able to see the cover, have some input into it. And, you know, I, I had teeny, teeny, teeny suggestions because, you know, I'm not an artist and writers don't always have the best visual imagination when it comes to what is going to, you know, appeal to people. You know, if I could stand there with every prospective reader and, and tell them why this book is awesome, that would be one thing. But I, I'm verbal, not visual. So we changed this almost not at all. We were all thrilled with it when it came in. And when the time came for it to actually become an artifact, to be to become a book, a physical book, um, Thompson Shore, in fact, here in Michigan, in Dexter, was the printer. And I said, oh, my God, when I learned this. And so I called them up and said, and I, I spoke to Becky Buchanan, who was there, and said, can I come and, like, see it be born? And she said, absolutely, come and take the tour. And it was so fantastic because I had never seen a book come to life before and especially now when we are all about everything is digital and that's good I mean you that's value added it isn't taking anything away from the physical book but I think the physical book is going to become more and more important as an object because I mean it to well me let's hope so because that will save it in some way I think well I don't I don't think it's in trouble I don't oh, I thank don't goodness no I think it's going to be fine the same way that I think in some ways the same way that digital music is led to kind of a resurgence of vinyl where people want that tactile experience they want to put the needle on the record you know they want that experience that they cannot get any other way definitely around these parts absolutely and you know nobody cares about the CD which is fine but the fact that as a tactile object, that that is part of the experience of reading 
to have this, and it is, it's a beautiful book. They did a beautiful job making it an object that you will want to hold in your hand and that will give you satisfying physical weight when and the, you hold it. And Yes, and the details of the, of the color uh, underneath the, the book jacket. It's, it's, it's this kind lovely of, red. It's, well, it's kind of like right under this sort of muted, you know, come hither jacket, there's like this flashy red book. And actually on the spine of the book, in gold is the little puppet girl again, which is just super cool. So it's kind of like, right, the, the sexy petticoat under the, the floozy's dress, you know, where you go, oh, my God, that's so cool, that's so cool. But it, <laughs> working with them, working with the people at Base Art, um, the people at Thompson Shore, this has been just a charmed experience for me. I've never had more fun in putting a book together. And I can't help but think that experience has translated to the readers, to the reviewers, to, you know, people who are starting to come up to me and go, oh, my God, I'm reading your book. Oh, my God, that first chapter. I totally can't believe it. I can't read the first chapter to you, I'm sorry to say, because it has bad language in it that, that we're not allowed to say on the radio. But I can say it at a reading, so if you come to the reading... You'll hear all the bad language you can handle. How and so, and so and there you go. That's that is definitely a draw. That's <laughs> um, was was it Molly Mikulowski from um, A Literary Light who who put you in touch with Small Beer, or how did you guys find each other? Well, actually, that is the genius of my agent, Christopher Schelling, and what an agent does is take the work that you do and figure out who is the best publisher for it, who is going to resonate with the work that you're doing. And it's not all about who's going to pay you the most money. It's about who understands what you're doing and can help translate that vision into an actual book. And we have been thrilled, you know, again, working with Small Beer. It has been a fantastic time. And Christopher has been my agent for about 10 years now, and I just adore him. And he was the one, actually, wasn't he that sort of... um got you to consider YA, the young adult Absolutely. Absolutely. market or fiction. Right, not market, because I had not, I'd never at all, I've never written YA before. And I had loved to read it, but I had never written it. And he encouraged me to try it and said, well, you know, I think you could do, I think this is something that you could do and you could enjoy and you could produce really good work. And it seemed like you expanded a short story, Stray Dog, and that became yes, the, the, the novel, novel. Stray Dog. And then, right, and then it was like eating pistachios. I just kept writing them. I couldn't stop. <laughs> I love YA, and, and I loved being able to try something new. The same way with Under the Poppy. I've never written a historical novel before. I've never written a romance novel before. Um, I've never written a novel with puppets before. So all of this is new to me, and that's really exciting for me as a writer. I like to try new things. I like to be afraid. I like to be pushed out of, you know, where you're not quite sure if you're doing it right and you're kind of making it up as you go along because that's the whole point of, of fiction, of any creative endeavor. You're making it up as you go along, you know, and you're you're able to let your imagination, you know, go totally off the leash and do whatever it will. And it certainly did with this book. And I, I really give Christopher a lot of credit for being able to see things in me as a writer that I didn't know were there. And you don't always find that, you know, with, with someone even with an agent or someone or even with an editor, someone you have a close you know, relationship with like that. Not everyone is able to kind of look into you and see what else can you do? What else might you be good at? So is he also instrumental in Under the Poppies? Oh, yes. Genesis? Yes. Oh. I, yes. Christopher reads everything of mine. He reads well, it as, yeah, he is, is, 
he's one of the people to whom you know the book is dedicated and I couldn't work the way that I work without him I'm we have a, a, a very close and, and collegial relationship and yeah he read the book in you know in first draft and he was the listening ear for me so ah uh, well we'll we'll get to hear some when we come back um so listeners thanks for being with us here today um it's such a fun day having you here kathy koja in the studio her novel under the poppy living writers we'll be back Something is breathing in the air Something is moving in the Welcome back. You've got Living Writers on WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Kathy Koja is here, her novel, Under the Poppy. Thanks for being here today, Kathy. Oh, I am thrilled. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm any chance that I have to, to talk about this book, which is just such a, you know, a love child for me. I had so much fun writing it because, you know, again, I never knew where I was going to, what was going to happen next. And which is odd because this book is like really tightly plotted, but so much of it kind of unspooled for me and unrolled for me as in the writing of it. And the, the book has a lot of different voices in it. There's the, the narrative of what is happening right now in the story. There's the backstory narrative where we find out how did these characters come to be where they are now and different characters within the text speak directly to the reader. For example, Lucy For is example, there in the Lucy. beginning and, and at the end. Yes, having... and, and Lucy is, is one of the, the working girls at Under the Poppy, and she later in the book finds a way, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but she finds a way to kind of use all of her gifts and all of the things that she can do. And along with that, that major narrative of Rupert and Istvan, there are a lot of peripheral stories and there are a lot of characters that, you know, hopefully the readers will get to know and will care about, will worry about, and, you know, hope that everybody comes to a, a, a safe and happy conclusion, although they don't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just like life, sadly, things do go wrong. But I was going to read just a tiny little bit of, at the at the the brothel under the poppy, one of the things that sets this brothel apart that's from... That's the actual, we should say to people, that's the name yes, that's of the, name. the brothel. The name of the brothel is called Under the Poppy, and there's like an actual poppy flower on the front of this brothel. And 
one of the ideas behind this place was that you can have, uh, you can be gratified in many locales, but to go to a place where they're offering you a kind of entertainment that you won't get everywhere else, it's 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 like the big draw in the town. So Rupert is is running this brothel along with Decca, the the hard as nails young madam, and Decca turns out to be Istvan's sister, and the three of them were together as children and were. Their relationship was exploded by betrayal and unhappiness and all sorts of terrible things. And Istvan finds his way to the town where the two, these two are running their brothel, and he has his puppets in tow, as he does. And so he decides that while he's there trying to get Rupert to leave with him and abandon this life and say, come back to me, come back to the road with me, let's do what we do, um, he gets his puppets involved because that's what he does wherever he goes. He brings the sunshine wherever he goes. So in the section that I'm going to read to you, um, the working girls and boy are putting on a show for the, the audience at the Poppy. I'm going to try not to be too bawdy and if I have to hesitate, it is because I've hit a bad word. So if I go, or something like that, it's because I've hit a bad word that I can't say on the radio. Okay. No, um, no, thanks. Thanks, Kathy, for all that FCC. Oh, I know, I know, I know. But, okay. But uh, be body, really. I'm, I'm going to be, yes, I'm going to be body. Um, it begins with a tinkling tune, sweet and sinister both, with just the slightest breath of heat, the prickling, serious sweat of real desire. And a girl's dreamy voice, humming, musing to herself. Vera, blue velvet on a black swing, back and forth, alone on the stage as Jonathan, curtained off, plays the melody. I want to meet a man who wants to meet me, too. Who wants to do with me the things I want to do. And here enters just such a one. Laddie tricked out as a toff and high hat and curling whiskers, an exaggerated hands-to-heart discovery when he sees luscious Vera positioning himself at once behind her to set the swing in wider motion. As she continues to sing, is it Vera singing? Or another's voice, Lucy's voice, so much richer and sweeter. Lucy cloaked in black again at the back of the stage, obscured by two tall figures, one with a definite horse's head. At the far reaches of the house, beyond the tables and the watching tricks, Decca, in red velvet from head to toe, pinches Velma viciously for some failure in service, Velma's yip of pained surprise lost in Lucy's voice rising into the second verse. He must be very handsome, and upright too, of course, but first of all, he must possess a large and healthy horse. As two men advance from the darkness, Vera swinging more lustily now, Laddie stepping back to give place to Istvan, who is dressed as a rustic stable boy, breeches and slouch cap, leading the silent, impressive, preapic chevalier, whose appearance creates a moment's quiet in the audience and then a hearty laugh. I think we're, we should probably leave it there. We should probably, we should probably stop. It's getting hard to read ahead in the text and figure out what I should leave out. The whole point, the point of these shows at the Poppy and the whole point of the idea of theater and desire is that people wear many masks. You wear the mask of the person you are to yourself, the person you are to the people you work with, the person you are to your lover or partner, the person you are to your family. And 
if Under the Poppy has a has an overriding theme, it is that the wearing of masks and the playing of roles. And because in this book, people don't necessarily keep the same name. Nobody tells the truth all the time. Some people don't ever tell the truth. And it's all about how do you navigate between what you want, what is true, and what is right. And not every person is going to go you know, the right way or, or do the things that they should do. And so being able to set it in this, in this other time and, you know, especially in this brothel setting, there's a, there's a line in the book where a character says, the poppy gives what it has always given, the illusion of granted desire. And it's like for this, you know, these 18 minutes, we're going to pretend like we're totally in love, you know, and then not. But like theater, while it's happening, you have the performer, you have the audience. And without both of those, and like puppeteering, you know, if we don't all decide to buy in to the idea that this puppet is a real thing, it ain't a real thing. So how did puppets enter? Because the puppets are literally in the first maybe five pages. There's a there's a puppet that makes an appearance <laughs> as a dwarf. Yes. Right? Yes. And so... Um, <laughs> so for for in when you were envisioning this story, how did puppets make the the their entrance? Well, actually, the puppets were pretty much besides Istvan because I begin all my fiction with a character, and Istvan was the first person that I saw in my mind's eye. And did he come to you with that name too, Kathy? He did not. That's a very good question. No, and I can't continue writing anything until I mean I have to know everybody's name before I start it has to be the right name and he was to name it really yes it took a long time for me to get his name I could see this guy I knew this guy but I didn't know what he was called and he had these four puppets he had the Chevalier he had Miss Lucinda the beautiful dancing puppet who can also cry um, he had the bishop, who is uh, the force of morality, and uh, and he had Pan Loudermilk, which is the avatar, the the character who speaks the id, you know, like the pure id character who speaks the things that the puppeteer does not say, and what what puppets always do for us, which is say the thing that we can't say. It's a, and in that way too, they represent very much the idea of mask and theater. Halloween has just passed. Think of the costume that you chose if you wore a costume. Think what you wanted, how you wanted to present yourself. Why did you choose the costume you chose? What other costumes attracted you, you know, while you were out in the bars or at the parties? All those things are, it's kind of a rebus, kind of a picture of desire or of what we want in, you know, in literally presented right before us. And the puppet does that all the time. The puppet can be, I mean, it's like the er actor. They can do anything. They are not bound by gravity. They're not bound by death. They're not bound by anything. And I love how you said, give someone a hand puppet if you want to hear what they really think about something. Absolutely. Try it. I do. I mean, they're used in, you know, in serious play too with, with people who have, um, you know, disabilities or children who have had bad things happen to them or so they can be used in a very therapeutic psychological sense but yeah give someone a hand puppet and they will start telling you the truth whether they know it or not which makes the puppet a very dangerous object too and one of the things that people have because people have very strong reactions to puppets either they like them or they're afraid of them either they like like mimes or clowns in a way also masked yes and because you never really know and i i just have never understood why a clown is appropriate for a child 
that freaks me out, frankly. <laughs> I'd rather have like 150 puppets than one clown. <laughs> There's something weird about that. Apologies to all clowns. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But <laughs> for the clowns in our audience, that's right. you know who you are. Right. <laughs> but it, it is that whole idea of not knowing and having to kind of invest something of yourself in this this other object, this other person. And again, the same way that you do in a situation of desire, especially in a situation of purchase desire, where everybody knows on one level, we just want this to be over with. But on on the human level, it's like, I'm still trying to interact with you and you're interacting with me for as long as I you know pay you to be there. And the characters in the, you know, there are in PS, there are no horrors with a heart of gold in this book. Okay. There are just characters and people. And I tried to make them as real as people that you would know or speak to. Or so you're not reading it, you know, purely to say, ooh, bravo, ooh, this is really prurient, or ooh, this is really sexy. It is sexy and it is, it is sad and it is funny too, because I think, especially in the arena of desire, we see ourselves without the mask in maybe not every moment, but the real face peeps through. And that happens in situations of violence as well because there's a war in this town. And one of the reasons that Istvan is there with such urgency is because war is coming to town and he knows about it. He's been working with the military and spying for the military. And he's like, this terrible thing is happening. I want you to leave with me and I, I have to get you out of here. Because you're my heart in some yeah, ways. You are, you're my beloved. And, you know, not only are you my beloved and I need you to come with me, but I need you to come with me now because <laughs> we don't have time to wait. Everything is really going to start going to hell. And it does. I mean, the, the town falls into chaos and they're still there and they have to deal with it. So fear is also a great, you know, destroyer of the mask. And, and mm, oh, but that, so that's a really wonderful thing that you just said. Um but I also had wanted to ask you if the research for that you you alluded to earlier about historical fiction was that you researched for Istvan with his role working for the military was that one of the aspects of it or was that purely because I'm because I, I am I, I know people are interested also in that aspect of what you research for historical fiction. Um, I made it up. That's right. <laughs> I'm always more pleased with that. I somehow, made but. it up. It's like the great the great line from Tony Kushner's Angels in America, where one of the characters says, I make it all up and it still turns out to be true. <laughs> Let's take a short break and then we'll come back. Today on the program, Kathy Koja is here. Her novel, Just Out with Small Beer Press, Under the Poppy. We'll be back.
Hey, we're back. We've got Kathy Koja here in the studio, Living Writers, her novel, Under the Poppy. Um, Kathy, again, the time has just flown by talking with you today. So um, thanks for being here. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here and and to bring my naughty puppets along with me (laughs) when I I come and and to talk, too, to talk about, um, especially as as a newcomer to historical fiction, it... I wanted to be careful in the research that I did to make sure that there's a great there's a great quote from and I'm I'm I don't know the original quote that's how great it is no it, it's it's a you've great, absorbed it <laughs> actually I read about it in uh, an article that Anthony Lane who writes for the New Yorker talked about using your imagination in the writing of fiction. And he was kind of deploring some books that were, you know, on the Times list at the time and going, oh, some of these books, I mean, these these writers are hitting you in the face like a baseball bat with all the research that they did. Like, you know, here's the bus table for Frankfurt. I mean, seriously, that was a real a real example. And he talks about Flaubert saying when when Flaubert wrote and gathered his ideas and his research, it was like feathering a nest. It was like adding texture to something he had already built in his mind, and he wanted to choose the details with care that would make it more real. But he already saw this thing. It wasn't like he was going, well, what is the timetable for buses to Frankfurt? I better find out, you know. And again, as I said earlier, it is a temptation to use everything that you learn because, for one thing, you wouldn't be reading about it at all if you weren't fascinated and some of these details are very fascinating. And people put up with a level of hardship that, you know, in, in our own you know, milieu, we would be horrified by. And go, oh, my God, I can't believe they do that. But it was also a way of moving the story. Because all my YAs, I had written seven YAs at that point, and they were all contemporary. And I wanted to leave the contemporary world for a variety of reasons. <laughs> but I wanted to see, I wanted something that was like, pure texture and pure grit and as close to once upon a time as I could get without going fully into the world of the fantastic and then making everything up. I still wanted to have like, you know, weevils and champagne and stuff like that handy. So, but, and how did you land in this, this Victorian era then? What was it about that era that took you? I think partially because the, their experience of technology in some ways is analogous to ours. They were a very modern age in a lot of ways, but they were also, and please Victorian scholars who are listening to this, please don't hurt me if I'm wrong. But that was my experience in the, in the, the reading of the research materials. On the one hand, they were like, we are men of science and we are knowing about the world and we are going to push forward with progress, rah, rah. And then on the other hand, people were like wearing bracelets made of the hair of the dead and having like catching tears in bottles and, you know, putting knives under beds to cut the pain of pregnancy. And so it was this kind of dichotomy where all sorts of superstitions and new knowledge were smashing into each other and, and colliding and striking sparks. And that's exciting. And two... I wanted, I wanted something, a milieu that felt to me very theatrical because this is an extremely theatrical novel. Uh, and I wanted it to be something that was not something that I knew every day and some place that I could get lost into. And I did. And how did the brothel part come? Was that part of Istvan when he was coming, that first character who came to you? Was he, how did the brothel as the stage for it? I wish I had 
better answers. I mean, no, I wish your I answers mean, I, are great. I wish that I knew. <laughs> Maybe things. I should have better questions. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it was one of the things that I saw. It was this sort of broken down, yet glamorous, yet you know. Again, if you have ever been in a theater, there those kind of public spaces where things have happened, where. F- People have felt things and done things and experienced things. Been transformed. And been transformed every night, you know, for a, a for a long period of time. There is some atmosphere there. There's something in the air in those places. And when you walk in there, you know you're not alone. There, There's a resonance in those, those true theaters. And that also is the experience of fiction. I mean, when you're reading fiction as a reader, you're bringing to it your own theater of you know, of the mind, like radio. You are bringing to it all the things that you know, all the things that you've seen, stuff that you've experienced, things that freak you out, things that you think are hot. All those things come with you when you sit down to read a book. And you're, as a reader, you're the writer's partner. The writer cannot, you know, the writer is not like feeding you, you know, like an extruded sausage of the book and go, okay, open wide, here it comes, crank, 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 crank. I mean, you're helping to make this experience the same way that you're not sitting, hopefully you're not sitting like slack-jawed somewhere in a theater going, ah, entertain me. You know, you're bringing yourself to it, and that's what makes it fun and rich. And everybody is going to bring a different take. In fact, we we had an early reading of the script at um, some some good friends of ours and supporters of our stage show. We had a reading with their book group of the script, and people argued, like, vociferously and like I can't stand this person and I love this person and she's been done wrong and and so they all had a different take on what was happening and one of one of the hostesses asked me said is this is this a good thing when people are the I said oh my god this is like heaven they're it's as if you would be arguing about your friends and going he's a jerk no he's not I hate her no she's the best you're stupid and so (laughs) they it was real it was real to them the characters had engaged with them and they had engaged back and I can't ask for anything else as a writer that was that was the best and that's what I want people to do when they read the book I want them to to have their favorites to have the people they despise in fact there's one character and I will not name him but there's one character that I love but no one loves him but me why won't you tell us then? Well, because I don't want I don't want to spoil it. I oh want... no, I don't think it'll. Spoil no, I can't. I can't. I can't do it. Come on, no, third tea. scoop. Third scoop. No, tea, you lured me. You've totally lured me to do many things, but no, I I cannot. I'll tell you what. If you come up to me at a book signing, I will tell you, but I will not tell you on the air because I want people to have. I'm just surprised that nobody kind of loves him the same way I do. And and I have to even and there are some really bad guys in this book and some some not very nice women and I can't dislike any of my characters because I can't that's not how you you create a rounded person because then they're just bad stick figures and ah you know and you're like smashing your Barbies together and I hate you and your GI Joe <laughs> and all that stuff your action figures. They have to be real and nobody ever thinks they're the bad guy. No bad guy ever says I'm really evil, and I love it. There, it's you're always filled with like your rationalizations, and really, I'm doing this, and this is happening because of that, and it's not really my fault, and he deserved it, and she brought it on herself, and and they're all like that, and so even the people who are really, really bad think they have really, really good reasons for what they do, and maybe someone will be a partisan of one of them. I await that with interest. 
And and you you have been when when did actually this? It, I can't imagine then there would be a time when you wouldn't be using your imagination um, for writing, Kathy. And so, but there is a, a time in your biography where you you thought, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, where you you almost needed someone to say you come to the table of writers and absolutely, be a writer. Absolutely, absolutely. And that was the Clarion Workshop. That's what did it for me. They, um, it used to be at MSU and now it's at um, UC San Diego. And what that experience of being part of a writer's workshop was precisely that of being, I had been writing since I was a child and I was 24 when I went to the workshop. And what that did for me as a writer was kind of confirm that I belong there, that it was okay to be there and just in a very matter-of-fact way, it's like, well, of course you're a writer. Yes, okay, now let's look at your stuff. Oh, this needs work. This is good, blah, blah, blah. But to be accepted in it, to be seen in that way, and being seen for what you are is a very powerful thing. And that is something that I try to talk to my own students about. And, you know, when I give presentations for writers groups or, you know, at schools, whatever, I talk to them about taking their talent very seriously, whether or not it's talent for writing or not whatever talent they have, and I tell them, especially the young people, I know you have a talent, and the reason I know this is that you are walking upright on the earth. Everybody has something. So whatever that is, you have a responsibility to all of us to take it seriously and to apply you know, your energy and imagination to it. And if you do that, amazing things will happen. I mean, that... If I had sat down and said, oh, I've never written a historical novel before. Oh, what if it's no good? Oh, my God, puppets. Oh, my God, it's in a whorehouse. Oh, now what are you going to do? Maybe this isn't the best idea I've ever had. You know, if you stop and think about those things, I'm not saying don't think before you act, but (laughs) don't think yourself to death. You know, if you have that energy and you have an enthusiasm for something, go and do it. That is that's kind of what we're here for, to astonish each other, you know, with the the depth of, of what we can bring. Well, thank you so much for being here and astonishing <laughs> all of us and 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 for creating this this world that the people can step into. And I, I hope they will get lost in it and wander around and, you know, find their their make their friends and fall in love and just wear that crushed velvet and do something mildly illegal with someone extremely good looking. <laughs> that sounds like a plan to me. Especially for maybe November 10th, next week yes. at the Blackbird Theater. From 7 to 9 p.m., we will be there with our naughty puppets and our crushed velvet, and we invite you to come in Victorian punk attire, if you are so inclined, and listen to us read from the book and tell us what you think of it. Well, thanks again. Um Kathy for being here. Kathy Koja, her novel, Under the Poppy. Um, Next week, Paul Oster. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks again to Brian Delaney. Kathy, thanks a lot. Thank you, T. Until next time. Sometimes I find I get to thinking of the past we swore to each other that our love would last You kept right on loving and I went on fast Now I am too thin and your love is too vast But I know from your smile and I
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, November the 3rd, 2010. In San Francisco, 